The podcast you're about to listen to is not safe for work and adult in nature. We're going to use a lot of four-letter words. Sometimes that word might be love, and other times it might be but. So, please make sure you got your earbuds in. Only people who should be hearing this podcast can hear this podcast. And let's hunker down for a little quality time together. Let's go. I am enormous, get used to it Everyone tells me I'm too much Maybe it's just you're not enough for me Can't you see, I'm the kind of woman I'm supposed to be Hi there, and welcome to the Body Storytelling Podcast. I am sexual folklorist Dixie Delator, and this week on the podcast, we have a story from second generation sex positive revolutionary Jessica Cohen. All right, I want to tell you about something really important that's happening this weekend. Are you ready? It's the Body Storytelling live stream. It's happening this Saturday, July 18th. And this one's going to be a good one. This time we've got Bonobo Tribe co-founder Misha Bonaventura, Moth Story Hour and Moth Slam winner. That means you've heard him on the Moth Story Hour, the podcast, and maybe, I don't know, on your radio you might have heard him, Adam Ross. He's a phenomenal storyteller. We've got comedian and social justice playwright Luna Malbro, crip sex agitator and disability activist Kaz Killjoy, and cleverly filthy songs by musical genius Jefferson Berkey. Plus prizes from quarantine fashion innovators Dirty Masks, Dick Soap, and Dirty Bath products from Hip Modern Soap Company, and it's all sponsored by the best lube out there, Uber Lube. I hope you can join us for this show. The live streams are so much fun. They're so different than anything else you've been watching on Zoom. I promise. You can get tickets on the Body Storytelling website under live shows, or you can get a link to buy tickets on the show notes for this episode. How's your week going? I want to say thank you to y'all because so many of you have sent me emails of support and love because you know I've been depressed and I've been floundering. But this week, and I can't say it's forever, but for this week, I'm trying to focus on the future. I'm trying to focus on what's next. I can't control anything, but what can I control in my own life? And so I've started creating an online course in storytelling. Do you know that like this huge number of people who sign up for our email list say they really want to take a storytelling class with me? And this is a way to do that. So I'm working on making that happen in 2020. Who'd think those two things would go together, meeting a goal in 2020. And I've also signed up for a storytelling workshop in the fall because getting better at my job feels like something I can control. I love geeking out on stories, taking it apart, building it, making it better. 
finding those perfect moments, the ones that really encapsulate what that story is about for you, that really make you understand why that person made the choices they did, why they're into the things they're into, all of that stuff. That's when I hit flow. Do you know what flow is? Flow is when you hit that perfect state and the answers come to you automatically and you know what the answer is before somebody even asks the question. Your brain's just like three steps ahead all the time. That is the most simple definition of flow that you will ever hear. But there are times that I get in flow. Two major times in my life. One used to be when I was out there trying to mm, hook up on the internet and I would make friends who were also out there in pursuit of love and sex and fisting, I guess. And I could go, they'd say, I really want to meet somebody and I want to try this thing. And I'm like, great. Okay. I have the answer for you. You're going to go this. You're going to do this. Make sure you say this. Don't say that. And you're going to place the ad on a Tuesday. Don't do it on a Thursday. And you are going to respond, but wait two days. And you're going to like my brain. It was like a beautiful mind when it came to getting people laid. And that's turned into body storytelling, I guess. But I knew the answers and they go, how do you know? And I'm like, I don't know how I know but I know it's going to work and it would work. And I would go, how do I know that? The other time when I hit flow, when I know the answers is when it comes to working with storytellers, I can hear their story. I can hear it's important to them, but they're not putting the details in. They're not telling us why they care. They're not telling them. And you know why? One of the reasons is often that they don't know why it's important themselves. So together, I help them pull apart and figure out what the meaning is. And that means the story is relatable. That means you can put yourself in their story and walk through it. And you get to be them for 10, 15, I don't know, an hour, whatever it is. If it's a solo show, I've coached solo shows too. But however long they're talking, you get to be somebody else. How often have you wanted to be somebody else? I want to do it all the time. It's one of the reasons I love stories. I get to stop being me and get to be somebody else for a certain amount of time. See what they care about. See what they're looking at. Feel what they're feeling. Maybe in the bedroom, maybe in a dungeon. I love that. And then helping them figure out why they care about that thing. Why of all the stories they could tell, why is that the story they tell? That is when I hit flow. That is when I feel smart. And I don't have enough moments in my life when I feel smart. So I'm working on that this year. I'm working at getting better at that job. I'm working at uh, producing a course so that we can work on your stories together. And it's not happened yet. It's not here yet, but I'm working on it. And it feels good to be learning. It feels good to be creating I hope you have something that you're passionate about the way that I'm passionate about storytelling. I hope that you can take that on, whether it's sitting down with a coloring book and coloring. Sometimes I do that when I'm super stressed out, whether it's crocheting a unicorn horn and walking around your house with it on your head, whether it's woodworking, I don't know what it is, but I am finding that creating right now is what's making all this bearable. And it's helping me this week. It's got me off the couch. It's got me making. And that feels so good. 
I hope you have something like that in your life. If you do, write me an email. Tell me about it. I love getting emails from you. I want to hear what's turning you on this week. Thanks. Are you feeling like a story? Let me tell you about this week's storyteller. Jessica Cohen says, When you grow up as the daughter of the world's best-known sex surrogate in an open marriage with a dad who could charm birds out of trees, you hear a lot of stories, and most of them are about sex. Let's just call this a family tradition. As I've grown up in the Bay Area, I have found that what you get out of life is mostly how you look at it. And I believe that a good story can change a disaster into a learning experience or a crushing embarrassment into a belly laugh. So as a point of reference... This storyteller's mother is Cheryl Cohen Green, who wrote the book An Intimate Life, Sex, Love, and My Journey as a Surrogate Partner. And that book was turned into a movie. And Cheryl Cohen Green was portrayed by Helen Hunt. The movie was called Sessions. And I believe it was up for an Oscar. And Helen Hunt took Cheryl Cohen Green to the Oscars with her as they waited to find out if they were going to win one. How exciting is that? So I had Cheryl Cohen Green in my show years and years ago. She's a phenomenal storyteller. Makes sense. She wrote a book too. And later on, I was pitched a story by her daughter and I had no idea. I mean, Jessica Cohen, Cheryl Cohen Green, I didn't put it together. And we've had her on the podcast once before. She's back with another story. This storyteller is Jessica Cohen. You look amazing. Thank you. So it was after midnight when we rolled back into Berkeley and Moffat let us off in front of our apartment and my boyfriend and I stumbled up the front stairs threw open the front door, dropped the bags, and crashed on the couch. And then Kevin, lying there, looking tousled and fucked up after three days of no sleep, turned his head towards me with those big almond-shaped blue eyes and smiled and said, so do you think you can sleep? So I could still feel the methamphetamines running underneath my skin. making my nipples hard, and at the same time, making me not feeling like fucking at all. And I glanced over at him, and I grinned, and I said, well, I was thinking. I've been thinking about it, like, scientifically. And he's like, okay. And I said, so I figure four bong hits apiece, and then we split a six-pack. And he goes, oh, okay, that should help. So we set about doing that, and now we're sitting on the couch, and I start to notice that his skin is the color of white marble, and his strawberry blonde hair is the exact same color as the freckles that dust his shoulders. When he turns to me and says, yeah, well, I'm wide the fuck awake now. And I go, I have a second plan. And he says, all right, what's that plan? And I said, I figure we just go into the bedroom and fuck till somebody passes out. And he's like, I like your thinking. Let's do that. So this whole thing had started on a Thursday afternoon when he showed up after work and I was in the kitchen at our apartment and he said to me, I got fucking Friday off. What are you doing? How late are you working? And I said, I could probably get off a little early. Why? And he says, Moffat's driving down to Southern California Renaissance Fair. He has room in his car and we're going to fair. 
So he and I had worked Renaissance Fair all our childhoods and not bumped into each other and then finally did. And for us, Renaissance Fair, as it was run by the Living History Center in the 60s and 70s and 80s and into the 90s, was not just a fair. It was a way of life. We followed the fair. We did everything we could. And when we weren't at fair with our friends who were the center of our life, we were coming up with new costumes and new gigs to do in the street and building more really heavy fucking shit to schlep down to Renaissance Fair. So we were too broke to go, and now we had a chance. So... We loaded everything that night, and then on Friday, he came to get me, and his best friend, Moffat, was in the car with a big shit-eating grin on his face, and I jumped in the back, and we drove all the way down to the backside of San Bernardino. And it's a long drive, and it involves some Joshua's trays. And we're starting to feel a little run down when we pull into Ferrisite, and who greets us but Brian? And Brian and Moffat and Kevin were the trifecta They were the triumvirate. And in our group of friends who all played 16th century German mercenaries who guard the queen, oh yeah, they were known as the strawberry blondes of the apocalypse. (laughs) And there was good reason because between the three of them, they had drank every keg, tupped every winch, and snorted everything that came past them for the last five years running. And it was my deep pleasure and total honor to be the Wendy to their fucked up Lost Boys. And thus that weekend ensued, and it was nonstop. And we had chosen the perfect drug for this hideous disaster because this shit keeps you focused. You are on the job. So we were able to work all of our shifts. We escorted the queen. We did all the parades. We were rocking the shit out of it. We were a photo op in constant motion. And then night would fall, and it was a total fucking debauch. Like everything you ever imagined about Renaissance Fair, just so you know, that is true. It's like a pornographic romance novel cover with lots of loop. And that's what we did. And it was fucking awesome. And I ran with the triumvirate. So I saw some shit that makes goat blush. So then it's Sunday. And then we load our sad, sorry, chafed asses back into the car. And we drive all the way back to Berkeley. And we know we have to get up and go to work in the morning. So we've been thinking and ruminating about how we're going to do that, and that's all going to work. We keep telling each other the lie, that it's all going to be fine. And then we get back to our apartment, and Moffat waves us goodbye and drives off into the night to go ruin some poor other woman's life. And we stumble upstairs to my apartment, where the genius idea comes to me after, you know, the four bong hits and the split six-pack, that we're just going to fuck till somebody passes out. This seems like a reasonable idea, and I am prepared to do the job. So we get into the bedroom, and like I said, the thing about this drug is it makes your skin super sensitive, and the ends of your fingers are uh, super sensitive to touch. But on day three of no sleep, a couple other things have started to happen, which did not occur to me till we were engaged. So once again, we are now purposeful in our copulation. We're like, serious, we're making serious faces, and we're fucking seriously, because somebody's gonna come. So... We try all the classical positions. We get through doggy style, and then we think, well, maybe reverse cowgirl, and we're moving through it. And everybody's, everybody, all, both of us are aroused, but nobody's actually coming. 
So we're going, we're going, we're going, and we're starting to get like that single-minded, and then it hits me that the inside of my mouth feels like that jar of paste in third grade that that kid who eats paste left without the cap on, so it's cracked all the way to the bottom, and it looks like crevasses that the Colorado River could go through. That is my mouth. And if he hits my cervix one more time, I'm pretty sure that's what my pussy's looking like, too. It is the first time in my life I have ever thought to myself, anal would be a light repast now. (laughs) So we're to that spot, right? And so in this moment, this man, this wonderful man who I live with, with his strawberry blonde blocks down to his nipples and his skin like white velvet and those fucking freckles and those huge almond-shaped eyes gets the crazy one-sided smile. And that smile had been the bell of death for me more times than I can possibly tell you. All the worst fucking decisions of my 20s and into my mid-30s can be directly correlated to that fucking smile. And he looks at me and he goes, I got an idea. And I'm like, I'm down. So he, like, it's like dancing. He taps the side of my hip, and I'm like, okay, so I'm raising my butt. And then he grabs my ankles, and he rolls me back up onto my shoulders. So I'm now doing, like, a shoulder stand in yoga. And then my knees slowly start to sink towards my ears. So my ass is totally up in the air. And then he's, like, still doing the face, like, oh, yeah, this is great. And then he kind of straddles me. And I have since come to discover that this is called a pile driver. And I have been thinking to myself, if I get to name a sex position, I'm naming this bitch, and it's called a pile driver. So everybody agrees. So he climbs on top of me, and he does this to me. And at first I'm like, applause? And then I'm like, oh no, we're latching arms. That's what we're doing. So we're both hanging onto each other's arms now. They're locked. We look at each other, we make eye contact, we're going for it, it's happening, one of us is fucking coming and the other's passing out if necessary, but this is happening. And we start. In that dry, arid plain that I once called a vaginal wall, and we go for it, and it's serious, and we're going, we're going, we're going, and I've reached the point where, for the first time in my life, it's not even all that much fun, I'm just ready, we're gonna fucking come, both of us, it's super romantic, and we're just <laughs> pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding, and, and, and for the first time in my whole life, I start thinking things like, well, if we do this, how many hours of sleep do you think I can get? And then get up and get dressed for work, and then I realize, oh, right, I can't think because I'm shaking. And then I'm like, okay, well, focus again. So we're focused again, and then we make eye contact, and I realize he's making the face. He's so close. The O face is right there. It's right on the edge. His eyes are starting to flutter. I loved it when his eyes fluttered. And then suddenly, as he's just leaning over me, and I'm like, yes, and we're clinging to each other's arms. He goes, ah, and he lets go of my arms, and he slaps his hands over his eyes, and he flips backwards like he's been kicked. But I didn't do that off the end of the bed and takes all the blankets with him and just crashes on the floor. Boom! And we live above a guy who already hates my fucking guts. So this was serious. So 
he's lying there and he's thrashing around and there are blankets everywhere and I'm like, fuck, fuck, fuck. So I'm like trying to get to him and I'm suddenly apparently really uncoordinated and I slither off the side of the bed and I land on the floor and I'm like, Kev, 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 look at me, look at me. And he's like, ah. And so now I climb on top of him and I'm wrestling his hands off his face. And then his eyes are like super screwed shut and I'm like, look at me. And he opens his eyes and those almond-shaped eyes, this color of blue that people would stop us in the street and ask me about his contact lenses. He opens those eyes, and on the left-hand side, he's blown a blood vessel in one whole side of his eye, and I watched it start to leak around the color. And it's all blood. It's red. It's not leaking out of the eye, but it's fucking up the white. So he's looking at me, and I'm looking down at him, and he goes, Jess? And I go, can you see out of it? And he goes, fuck! And he leaps up, and he runs into the bathroom. So I can, I was, lying on the floor at the end of the bed, looking at him in the bathroom from this angle, and he's like, oh, my God! And he's standing in the, in the bathroom, and he's looking, and he's like, and I go, well, how are you feeling? What's going on? And he says to me, well, my head really fucking hurts, and it's throbbing, and I heard an audible pop when that fucking happened. And I'm like, oh, really? And he's like, yes, really? And I'm like, that, oh, that sucks. I'm so fucking sorry. And I'm looking at him, and he glances over at me, and he goes, what? And I'm like, what, what? And he says, well, what, well, what were you thinking? And I say, because I'm stoned and an idiot, I was just wondering whether or not you came. <laughs> and he says to me, are you insane? And I'm just like, oh, you know what, we, we spent a lot of time on that. And I was just wondering. And he's like, oh, who the fuck are you? Are you a fucking succubus? And I was like, well, would that make you come? <laughs> and he's like, well, fuck's sake. What, I, this could have been a goddamn aneurysm. And I was like, but you're talking. And I was like, well, uh, what do you feel like? What can I do for you? Is there something I can do for you? But his eye looks bad. And he's like, oh, I, just, I don't know. I'm kind of, I, I feel like I need to calm down. So I threw all the blankets back on the bed and I fluffed everything. And I was like, okay, why don't you calm down over here? Come, come down over here. And he's like, well, I don't know what to do. I feel like I should keep my head elevated. I was like, right, don't bleed into your brain. So I run into the kitchen and I pack a towel full of ice and I come back and I pull him into bed next to me and he curls up against my side and I'm holding the ice against his face. And I loved him like nobody's business. Like everything about him was amazing to me. And I was looking at that eye thinking he is going to rock the fuck out of an eye patch. (laughs) There is going to be nothing but nasty pirate sex from this day forward. And we're going to definitely pile drive more often when finally he falls asleep against me. And the weird magic of loving somebody and sleeping next to them and staying up three fucking days is the sound of their snoring is like getting hit with a trank dart, apparently. So I came to the next morning in time to get dressed, and I left my fallen soldier lying there. (laughs) And I set the alarm clock to wake him up for work. And I sashayed out and I got down to the street to go to the bus. And I was thinking to myself the whole time, well, maybe I am a succubus. (laughs) Thank you.
By Nightcore, as performed by Billie Eilish. I want to say thank you to all the people who support us on Patreon. Y'all are making this podcast happen because podcasting costs money. And money is in tight supply right now, as every single thing I did has mostly gone away. The live stream's helping, but most of all, Patreon is paying the bills. So thank you so much for supporting us. And if you don't support us yet on Patreon, we are coming up with these incredible new ways for you to get rewards. It's like a Kickstarter, but it goes on for as long as the podcast goes on. You can get free tickets to the live stream. You can get the live stream replay if you can't watch on the Saturday night that it happens. You can watch it live or... When you watch the replay, you can savor it. You can stop. You can listen to the story again. And that replay only lives on Patreon. We're coming up with a new series, which is going to be interviewing luminaries in the sex and kink world. Me just chatting with people who have changed all of our lives and who know so much. I love giving them an opportunity to just Tell us what they know. Tell us what inspires them. Tell us their story and how they got to be who they are. And you're going to get to savor learning all of those things with me 
if you're on Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash body and support us at whatever level you can. We appreciate you so much. Thanks for your support. Damn it, that's the end of the episode. I hate this part. I love this time I get to spend with you each week. And it's never long enough. Before I go, I want to say thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Thank you most of all to podcast producer and live stream technical director, Marty Garcia. Thank you to video archivist, Joe Moore. Thank you to sound engineer, David Grossoff. Thank you to you for taking the time to listen to the Body Storytelling Podcast each week, for telling friends about it. I will tell you that the role of podcasts have changed in our life during COVID. We don't have commutes anymore. We don't have this dedicated time where we can say, I'm about to head to work or I'm headed home for work and I can listen to the body podcast. And it's kind of messing with all of us right now. So please make sure that when you see the episode show up, share it with a friend, forward it on, send a link, write a review. All of those things can help us at this incredibly difficult time. And I appreciate anything you can do. I'm sexual folklorist Dixie Delatour. This has been episode 132 of the Body Storytelling Podcast. Thanks, and I'll see you next week.